0: welcome to Faith Point the podcast ministry of First Southern Baptist Church of Prescott Valley with senior pastor Carol Eldridge our goal is to allow our faith to intersect with real life so let's join pastor Carol today as he shares with us from God's word as you take out your bibles and find the book of Matthew very first book of the New Testament the first gospel the gospel of Matthew We're be Matthew our key verse is going to be Matthew chapter 2 verse 2 and we'll look at some other verses as well but Mark would you do me a favor and would you go back to the 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 slide uh, that that talks about light into the darkness light in the darkness I didn't talk about this earlier. I want to make sure that I do talk about it. Uh, I invited you, uh, last Sunday to be, uh, to accept a challenge to go through, um, an Advent devotional time, uh, with me that started last Sunday and goes through Christmas Day, 23 days and, and when you do that, uh, you'll be going all the way through the book of John, the Gospel of John. Each day we're, we're in a different chapter. First time, first two days were chapter one. Now we've been in every a different chapter each day. Today is chapter seven of the Gospel of John. Uh, and we're talking about exactly that, light in the darkness. That's why Jesus came. He came to be the light of the world. And in a world that was full of darkness. And still is today. He is still the light in a dark world. And we need to understand that. We need to understand our part in that. Because he said we also... Our lights when we know Jesus Christ the Savior and Lord. So if you want to be a part of that, it's not too late to start. If you if you start today, that's fine. It's okay. Just pick up where you're at, and you can catch up later if you want to. Um, but in order to do that, uh, you need to be in. Uh, a little bit in touch with you version of the bible it's a it's a electronic bible that you can put on your your phone your tablet your computer for free it doesn't cost you a bit all you have to do is just sign up for it and you can search that out light in the darkness or you can just simply tell me pastor Terrell I'm doing that would you send me an email uh, invitation that invitation then you can click on that, and it will take you straight to it and help you set it up. Each day you'll read um, one part of the, either the whole chapter or part of that chapter uh, in John. You will read uh, a devotional that somebody from Crew uh, has written. Crew is is Bill Bright's organization uh, has not gone away. Uh, it is international, and, and the people who are writing are are those people who work for them who are missionaries uh, with crew Uh, and wherever they're at today um, the the writer is a as a young man who lives in and ministers to uh, college students in uh, Liberia it's kind of interesting to read what what people in other countries how they respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ and and how God speaks to them And if you, when you read it today, you'll say, boy, he sounds like us. Because it's the same gospel and it's the same heart need wherever people are. And so we encourage you to be a part of that. So do that if you want it. If you say, I don't want to, I don't want to be, I don't want to put, U version on my Bible. Um, you can follow the information in your ministry guide uh, or on our in our newsletter that went out this week, uh, which copies are there on the in the foyer if you didn't get one. Uh, it will it will allow you to get in touch with them, and they will simply send you an email every day with that info, with the with that devotion, or they will send you a text with that, uh, so that you can do that. Uh, but if you don't have you version, I don't know why you wouldn't. I use it every day. Uh, it is a great way to take God's word in. Bow in prayer with me now, if you would, as we as we come to God's word. Father, now speak to our hearts. We pray that Jesus Christ will be glorified as we open our Bibles, as we open our hearts uh, to the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray for Jesus to be magnified. We pray that that his name would be lifted high. We pray that our joy would increase. And we pray for that one who is with us, whether they're here in this room or whether they're watching online. Father, we pray that, that they might uh, be encouraged, that we each might be encouraged in our walk with Jesus Christ every day. Lord, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, we are talking about Sing We Now a Christmas uh, for this month. And, and so we started last week and we're looking at, um, at a series of, of sermons I put together on four specific, very famous, very well-known Christmas carols. And we're talking about them and, and seeing what God is doing with them even today. And last week, you remember, we looked at a Christmas carol that Time Magazine says was what is, is today the most popular Christmas song ever written. And you remember what that song was. Silent Night. The song we're looking at today in that same survey from Time Magazine came in number two. Number two. Joy to the World. It's the second most popular Christmas song. And you were going to hear it a little bit of everywhere you go. And, and whereas... Silent Night was written by this young priest uh, who was known only for one song. He was a one-hit wonder, if you will, when he wrote Silent Night. The man who wrote Joy to the World was just the opposite. He was a prolific songwriter and and wrote all kinds of hymns and, and also was... Um, was was this this interesting guy in other ways as well, uh, and and he and he wrote and and was writing in the eighteenth century. Now, um, as as the story goes, um, uh, he was considered to be a highly gifted hymnist songwriter, or he was a huge heretic of a songwriter, depending on your frame of reference. Many people loved his songs, and we continue to sing them today. Many people hated his songs when he wrote them because he was unconventional. He didn't follow the script of the day, if you will. The script of the day in the 18th century and before was to take scriptures from the Bible, verses from the Bible, And those became the lyrics. Those were the words of the songs that were sung in church. And that's all that was used were scriptures. And we still do that today. Many of the songs that we sing, you may not realize it. Many of the songs that we sing, the verses come straight from scripture. But he was one of the first, not the first, but one of the first hymn writers who took words and put them in his songs that were not always scripture. They weren't just verbatim from Bible. It wasn't like, here's Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, I'm going to write a song or a verse. That's going to be one of the verses of my song that I'm writing. Uh, So he looked at it differently. In fact, um, one day the story is told that he came home from church and he was complaining about the atrocious music that they had sung in worship that day, he said it was terrible. And his father, who was also somewhat of a was was somewhat of a, um, a rebel, if you will, of, as in terms of spirituality, uh, said, "Well, if you didn't like it, write something better." Wouldn't you like to tell people that, Pastor Bart, sometimes? When they come to you and say, I didn't like the music we did today, then write something better. He did. He sat down and wrote a, uh, he wrote a song and then paid somebody to put music with it and showed up two weeks later with it at church and they sang it at church two weeks later. He, it wasn't joy to the world. It was a different song. It was it was the song um, that, uh, that 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 uh, I can't find. Pastor Bart might be able to find it. I'm told it's still sung in some churches even today. But it's um, Behold Um I was gonna think of the right word here. Um, behold Behold the the Lamb. Uh, I believe is the word or behold Jesus the lamb and I can't I can't find that in any hymnals that I have but we're not a it's this he wasn't a Baptist he was a congregationalist and so that may be what it is he just didn't put it in the right hymnal and if we put it in a Baptist hymnal we'd still be singing it today probably um, but that's what he became known for. Uh, so he he really became known as the father of English hymnody, and and some of his greatest hits, if you will, the songs that we that we may know very well um, are are very interesting. When I survey the wondrous cross, oh yeah, we like that one. Oh God, our help in ages past, yeah, that one we remember too, don't we? Alas, and did my Savior bleed, did my Sovereign die. We like that hymn. Joy of the World. We just sang it. And we're going to talk about it here for just a few minutes. Then there's one other one. Jesus shall reign where 'er the sun. I thought... I saw that listed as one of the things that he wrote that was well known. Turns out, it's not in our hymnal today, our newest hymnal. The one in front of you, it's not there. However, if you go back to, to the 1940 Broadman hymnal, our, it was there in that one. That's the, that's the last one I could find it in a Baptist hymnal. Uh, that song is there, but it is sung in, in a lot of other hymnals even today. And so um he was he was this this kind of rebellious guy, uh yet he did some wonderful things, and it's, Behold the Glories of the Lamb is the song I was thinking of earlier, the first one that he wrote. But Isaac Watts is his name. Isaac Watts is the writer And, and Isaac Watts went on to become the pastor of a very large church, congregational church in London. And, and so he continued to preach and he continued to write songs um, and disciple believers and led people to Christ uh, for, for 74 years, uh, or until the age of 74. And so in, in 1748, he passed away at the age of 74. But for some 30 years before his death, he wrote, um, he wrote the Christmas carol that we sing, Joy to the World. And that song not only is a celebration of the birth of Jesus uh, on Christmas Day, but as we look at the words we're going to discover that it is also a call to discipleship it is not just about a song we need to pull out on once once a year sing it once or twice on a Sunday uh, but we need to we need to be looking at it and and paying attention to it other times as well um, He was a songwriter, but I said he's also a pastor. And so as you look at his songs, many of his songs, even the Christmas carols, tend to sound somewhat like sermons. And so he takes a sermon and he makes a song out of it, or he takes a song and he makes a sermon out of it, one way or the other, I'm not sure. So today we're taking his song, Joy of the World, and I'm making a sermon out of it. And so we're really going to let Isaac Watts preach today's sermon um, with this song uh, because when we look really closely at the verses of Joy to the World, we discovered that it begins with this invitation, if you will. It is this challenge to come and worship Christ the King. Um, it, is, it, is, it is also... Um, a challenge to live our lives for him not just because it is Christmas and to live our lives for him not just because it is Christ's birthday. It is a challenge to live with him, uh, live for him because he is the king of kings and is the Lord of lords and he is a savior of the ages and he is worthy. He is worthy of our praise and devotion every day of the year. Not just in the month of December. Now, as he preaches today, I want you to know that you're going to hear this verse, you're going to hear this song a lot. You're going to hear it, and you're already hearing it in church, you're going to hear it other places, you're going to hear it on the radio, you're going to hear it in shopping malls, you're going to hear it in grocery stores and elevators. Well, we don't have a lot of elevators here in, in Prescott, but if, if you're at the hospital, you'll hear it in a... You know, they, don't do hosp- they don't do elevator music in the hospital for some reason. Um, you'll hear different people sing it. You'll hear Nat King-Hole continue to sing it. You'll hear um, George Strait sing it. You'll hear Whitney Houston sing it. And if you happen to listen to the right kind of radio stations, you'll hear the Chuck Wagon Gang sing it too. I won't, but you will. And every time you hear it, I hope that something happens. I hope that you'll accept that challenge, that invitation to worship Jesus at that moment. That you'll say, I need to worship Jesus right now. Barb and I yesterday afternoon were walking through J.C. JCPenney's. They were playing music, elevator kind of music. And the time we were in there for the short time, it seemed like two times they played the same song. And it was something about a Hawaiian Christmas day, a wonderful Christmas day in Hawaii. Didn't say anything about Jesus. I was not inspired at all to stop and worship Jesus. Barb was inspired to get out of the store as soon as possible. she started playing it again. Tell him to stop. But I hope when you hear joy to the world, you have a different reaction. You say, I need to stop and I need to praise Jesus. I need to stop and I need to worship him. I need to stop and make sure that he's receiving the glory that he is due, as we sang earlier. And so this song tells us not only how to prepare our hearts for the Advent season... the the season leading up to the time we celebrate his birth, but it also is a song that helps us prepare to worship uh, every Sunday morning when we come in here to worship together. But it goes beyond that. It tells us how to prepare to walk with God, to walk with Jesus, and to worship him every day of our lives. And so that's what I want to share with you today. I want to share with you these verses. And, and there's, there's four verses, so there's four points today that, that Isaac is going to preach. Uh, and we're going to consider them as something as this of a tutorial for worship, if you will. It is, it is this tutorial that helps us understand how to continue to prepare for Christmas, how to prepare to worship each day, and how to prepare our, our lives to be lived in conjunction with and in fellowship with God every day of our lives. So today, four lessons on worship that will help us prepare to worship each Sunday and walk with God each day. First of all, Isaac Watts tells us, let's begin by preparing him room. Let's begin by preparing him room, preparing Jesus' room Look at the verses there in your in your sermon notes. It says, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. Now, if you're in the choir, by the way, we sang it earlier. Heaven. It's written here, heaven. When we sing this tonight, it's heaven. Otherwise, Pastor Bart's going to get really mad at us for singing it wrong because how they wrote it in the cantata is different than it's written everywhere else but the phrasing of this verse uh, recalls the words of the magi the wise men when they show up in Jerusalem they've traveled for, for hundreds and hundreds of miles across the desert and they finally get into Jerusalem following this star and and they stop Because they're trying to find the king. And so they come to King Herod thinking he'll know where the king, this new king who's been born, is at. And they say this in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? Of all people to ask that question to, King Herod probably wasn't the guy. He doesn't take that really well. And he wants to have this new king, whoever he is, killed because he's not done being king as far as he's concerned. And so, um, so Isaac Watts uh, adds this phrase in verse 1, let every heart prepare him room. Surely Herod would have had room for the new king, but no, he didn't. Surely we would have room in our lives for King Jesus. Yeah, not necessarily. We have to be reminded we need to be reminded. Prepare him room. Prepare. Let every heart prepare him room. So, what's involved in doing that? What's involved in in when about everyone um, preparing what is what you need? Think about what happens a lot of times at Christmas or Thanksgiving when you have. All the relatives come over. They come from out of town. They come from out of state. What's involved with that? Man, there's a lot of stuff that has to take place, isn't there? When you are doing that, you have to get things ready for the holidays. And it's great to have them coming because you have... you have. You have the kids, you have the grandkids, maybe the grand, great-grandkids. You have the in-laws, you have all the outlaws that go with them. You have, you have and, and moms and dads are there. And you look at your house and you look at how many people are coming and you think, oh, something's got to change. This isn't going to work well the way things are right now. And so what do you do? You go to the market, and you buy all the food, you buy the turkey, you buy all the stuff that goes with it. You buy the stuffing, cram that box of stuffing inside the hole in the turkey. Don't let me cook. But you do it, you get all those groceries, spend all that money, but the biggest part of getting ready, of course, is you want to make sure that come nightfall, everyone has a place to sleep, don't they? How do you put everybody to bed? So you tell this family, okay, you've got this, this couple, you've got this extra bedroom over here, and you've got that extra bedroom over here, and now I have no other extra bedrooms. Now what do I do? And so you say to this person, you get to sleep on this sofa and you get to sleep on that couch. And that one's a recliner, you just have to to sleep sitting up. And to this teenager, you get to sleep on the dining room table. And to somebody else, here's an air mattress, you can sleep over here. And finally, you get everybody with a place to sleep. But then there's also something else has to take place. You have to clean, don't you? You have to clean everything up, and you have to start going through the house thinking, i got to make space for these people to stretch out. And so you start going through, and you, you look at things that are in your house that have been there for a long time, and you say, I don't really need that anymore, I don't think. I can get rid of that. And so you take stuff to goodwill and to stepping stones and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. You don't have a yard sale because nobody's going to buy anything anyway, so you just give it away. And you you just take it and and you just get rid of it. Because those are things that have to take place. But you know what happens is that the same processes that we go through in preparing our house for guests needs to take place in our lives for Jesus Christ. We need to go through and do those kinds of things. How do we do that? How do we go through that cleaning process? How do we go through getting rid of the things that don't need to be there anymore? How do we make sure that, we're, that the food is going to be adequate, that we're taking in? All of those things need to take place. If we're preparing our hearts for Jesus Christ. And we prepare room for him by setting aside time each day. Time to do what? Time to spend time in prayer and Bible study. And if you're not used to doing that, join me in this Advent challenge then. Because you will be having to take five or ten minutes to spend a little bit of time in the word. And letting the Holy Spirit speak to you and interacting with what he's telling you. And so you spend time in prayer and Bible study, um, reading from that devotional book, Light, Light in the Darkness. And listening to Christian music with a spiritual message. All those things help us prepare room in our hearts. For Jesus. And also, as you're preparing for your guests, uh, you look for those opportunities to take things out of your room. And so, you have to take some stuff out. Maybe it's taking out all the time you spend on the television. Say, I don't need to spend nearly as much time watching that box or that screen up on my wall anymore. It doesn't mean I have to get rid of it, but I have to pay attention to what I'm doing. Maybe it's scrolling through Facebook. Oh, please, not Facebook. I need to know what everybody else is eating every day. How will I know what to eat if I don't see pictures of my friends' dinners? Maybe it's just Spending time scrolling through YouTube or other things. It just are distractions and take up time. Take up space in our lives. Anything that takes up your time but adds nothing to your life, maybe you need to get rid of it. To say, Jesus, I'm filling my life with nothing. I would rather fill it with you. I would rather have that space for you. But it's a decision you have to make. And so you start to look for those things. So you move these things out and you make room for Jesus. Let every heart prepare him room. Secondly, let's make sure we repeat the sounding joy. You got to repeat the sounding joy. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains, repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. On that day of the triumphal entry, not the day of his birth, 33 and a half years later, on the day of his triumphal entry, one week before the crucifixion, Jesus Christ comes into the city and the people are yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. And they keep shouting that across the streets of Jerusalem. And you know, people were excited about that, but there was one group of people who hated it. The Pharisees. And they came to Jesus and they said, excuse us, but would you please have the people stop? They're offending us. We're not real happy about that. Would you tell them to be quiet? And Jesus said, oh, sure, I'll be glad to do that. No, not quite. Instead, what does Jesus say? In chapter 19, verse 40 of Luke, he says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. He said, If you can make them stop, the sound won't go away. If you can get them to be quiet, everything that I created is going to shout my glory. That resounding glory of Jesus Christ. So what is that sounding joy that we're asked to repeat? Part of it came from verse 1 of Isaac Newton's song. The Lord has come. Part of it comes from now verse 2. The Savior reigns. That's the story of the gospel. Jesus came and now he reigns. The Lord has come. Now he reigns. Our Savior reigns. And of course, this means... That we should tell others about that message. That we need to share that gospel message of Jesus Christ. It is the Christmas story. It is the Easter story. It is the story of the life of Jesus. He's the reason he came. He came to defeat sin and he reigns today. And that is our mission as a church. It never changes. It doesn't matter where we're at in the, in the face of the earth. The mission always stays the same. It is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why every time we preach, every time I preach, that's the primary theme of what I'm preaching about. That Jesus Christ came and today he reigns. And he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. It's also the message of all of our Bible studies. Whether it's a men's Bible study at 6 o'clock in the morning. And we have to beat ourselves in the head to be able to wake up enough to remember that's the message. But it's the message that Jesus Christ came and he reigns. It's the message of Tuesday morning Bible studies here. It's the message of Thursday evening Bible study. It's a message of all the other ones that we teach. It is that Jesus Christ is here and that he reigns. If our message is anything else, we need to quit. We need to just lock the doors and go away. Because we'll cease being the church God called us to be. But you know who else needs to hear it? In addition to all those people who have never heard before, wherever there are on the face of the earth, you know who needs to hear it? You need to hear it. Each one of us needs to hear it every day. We need to continue to remind ourselves. We need to repeat the sounding joy to ourselves every day to remind ourselves each and every day that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord. Because you know what will happen is we'll let somebody else be Lord. We'll let something else be Lord if we don't. Somebody or something will be Lord of your life and it better be Jesus. Jesus. But if you don't make sure it's him, somebody else is going to step up and take that place. Something else is going to come in and become the Lord of your life at that point. And so we need to make sure that Jesus Christ has that place. And he's come to earth to make a difference in our lives. We need to remind ourselves that we have a Savior that cares about us every day and what's going on in our lives. And he will make a difference that will glorify him. And he wants to reign in every heart that prepares him room. And that needs to be my heart. and needs to be your heart. And we're the only ones who can give that heart away. Parents, you can't give your kids' heart away to Jesus. You can't give your parents' heart away to Jesus. You can't give your neighbor's heart away to Jesus. Only your heart can you control. And so we need to prepare our own hearts to be his home. And that means that we give him that place to read. And so when I hear that phrase, repeat the sounding joy, I think this is why I begin each day with prayer. It's a prayer of praise. I say, I want to make sure that my heart is praising him. And that's why I tell God each day that he is holy and he is righteous and, and, and his, he's full of mercy and powerful beyond all measure. And I tell him about himself things that he certainly already knows. But what I'm telling him, what he already knows about himself, I am reminding myself and I am preparing myself and I am letting that resounding joy ring out in my own heart. And that's not just at Christmas. That has to be 365 days a year that I let that sounding joy resound in my own heart. And if you want to prepare your soul to live the victorious Christian life, then you make it a point to repeat the sounding joy every day. That you find that time, that you carve it out, preferably the very first of morning, so that you don't go through half of your day thinking that somebody else is Lord of your life. But knowing that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life for the whole day. And you repeat that sounding joy. And it will strengthen you. And it will strengthen those then around you. Verse number three is my favorite verse of this whole song. You'll notice today we didn't sing it. Now you talk to Pastor Bart about this. Because you know what? It is the least sung verse of this song. It almost never gets sung. Fact is, Pastor Bart will probably tell you, third verse of almost any hymn never gets sung. takes too much time. It's not important. It's just a filler. We sing the first verse, sing the second verse, and we sing the fourth verse. Because you wouldn't know when to stop if you didn't do the fourth verse. If there's only three verses in a song, we skip out the middle one. If there's five, we do one, two, and four, or five. We just cut the middle out of it. I don't know why we do that. This, I think, is the most important verse of the whole song. This is my favorite verse. Listen to why we're going to sing it. Because we need to choose this over that. You say, well, that doesn't help me a bit. We need to choose this over that. Listen to the words again. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. Phrase that I want you to see right now is no more let sin and sorrows grow. The first words of verse 3. Have you ever noticed how Two things always seem to go hand in hand. He says in this verse again, He says, I want you to understand that sins and sorrows will grow. Sins and sorrows always walk in lockstep, don't they? When we sin, Sorrow is always going to be the outcome. It has no place else to go. The ultimate outcome is sorrow in our lives, it is hurt, it is pain in our lives. And so, Isaac says, don't let sin and sorrow grow. We don't have to let them grow in our lives. And I know that there are some times when when sorrow comes into our lives and we haven't sinned, and pain comes into our lives when we haven't sinned. That's just because we're humans, and it is because of sin. We live in a broken world, and because we are sinners, there is pain in our lives. But there is specific pain that comes because of specific sin. And we all know it because we've all experienced it. We chose to sin, to do something God said not to do, something that we weren't supposed to do, and we did it anyway, and we paid a consequence for it, and the consequence is sorrow. The consequence hurts. And so when he's writing that, he's talking to the very heart of who we are, the heart of our experience every day, the heart of the hurt that comes into our lives every day. You know what else comes because of sin? Thorns. Thorns come into our lives. So I don't understand what you mean. Isaac says, says, this is what happens. We sin and thorns infest the ground. That takes us all the way back all the way back to the garden sin just has a way of making us unnecessarily uneasy in life it makes it more painful when you for example allow your anger to reign in a relationship things get thorny don't they when you decide to allow materialism and greed to, and to influence your spending habits, things start to get thorny. When you, when you let laziness take over your work ethic, things get thorny in your life. When you sleep in on Sunday, instead of coming to church, things get thorny. When you come to church and stretch out on the pew and sleep, things get thorny. When you fill your mind with all the negativity of social media instead of filling your mind with uplifting teaching and uplifting music, things get thorny. It's a natural response consequence of our sin. There's sorrow, and then there are things that hurt, thorns. And we have to walk through those patches of thorns that we've caused. And so I hope you'll say, I want to walk in God's blessing. So I choose to go this way and not that way. I hope you'll say, I want to choose to listen to this and not listen to that. I want to choose to spend my money here, but not there. I need to choose this over that. Getting the most out of this Advent season of Christmas. Getting the most out of every Sunday worship. Getting the most out of every day comes down to a simple choice. This, not that. I decide what I want in my heart. I decide what I want in my mind. I decide which way I want to move. I decide how I'm going to spend my money, how I'm going to spend my time, what I'm going to listen to, what I'm going to watch. And every choice has a consequence. And so I can choose the ones that lead to blessing or I can choose the ones that put me in the middle of a thorn patch with no shoes on and now I have to walk through those hurtful thorns. I can't blame God for it because I chose it. I can't blame my spouse for it because I chose it. I can't blame my parents for it because I chose it. can't blame the government for it because I chose it. Choose this over that. That is a thorn patch, and it's going to hurt, and it's going it's to harm me. This, on the other hand, is God's blessing, and it's going to be good for me, and I'm going to enjoy it, and I want God's blessing. So I'm going to choose this blessing over that thorn patch. Choose this over that. That may seem really attractive. Everybody is doing it. Everybody is spending that way. Everybody is is involved in that, and I want to be like everybody else, but that also leads to thorns. Instead, I can choose this, and this leads to a life of victory. And that's what I want. I want victory in my life. So choose this over that. We all live under the curse that started in the Garden of Eden. God said you're going to live by thorns because of your sin. But you can choose another way. Choose another way. In 2 Corinthians nine eight, Paul said it this way, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You see, there really is no place where sin is gone that grace can't redeem. Any place where sin has infested the ground, grace, God's grace through Jesus Christ, redeems it if we choose the right way. And so we choose grace. We choose blessing over thorns. You would think we wouldn't have to be told that, would we? that we wouldn't have to remind ourselves every day. But every day, every one of us, at some point, chooses that over this. We choose the thorns, we choose the pain over the blessing of God's grace. We need to stop doing that. We need to choose this over that. And then number four, let's seek to be living proof. Let's seek to be living proof. Isaac Watts said in verse four, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love. He rules the world with truth. And grace just jumps out at me, out of that verse. He rules the world, to be sure. But the question is, not does he rule the world, but does he rule my life? So you have to answer that question, who rules your life today? Who is in charge? Who is the ruler of your life? Jesus wants to fill our lives with truth and grace. John one seventeen said this: "For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ." Underline those words, if you would, in John one seventeen. Grace and truth. You know, what you need to underline them. Because we are all in desperate need of them. We need grace and we need truth. And we need it now. We need both in our lives. We are in need of grace. Why? Because we're all sinners. We're in need of grace because of Eden's curse. We're in need of God's grace Because we're capable of only making a mess out of our lives. That's the only thing we can do on our own is to just mess things up. We need God's grace. That's why we see that when we have God's grace, he makes things right. When we have God's grace... We don't have to try to earn ourselves into a right relationship with God because we can't. He simply gives us that relationship and we get there by his mercy. We need God's grace in our lives. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, Paul said, For as by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God so that no one not by works so that no one can boast. We need God's grace. But we also need his truth. We need God's truth. Because it's God's truth that shows us how we are to live. We know how not to live, but we need somebody to show us how to live. And it's God's truth that does that. And his truth is found in Jesus. It is found in his birth, his virgin birth. It is found in his life. It is found in his teachings. It's found in his ministry to others for 30 years. It is found in his death. And it is certainly found in his resurrection from the dead three days later. All of God's truth is found in Jesus. It is all found in Jesus Christ. We need that truth. Truth is, Jesus wants to come into your life today. He wants to reign supreme. He wants to be Lord of everything about your life, Lord of all. He wants to prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love through your life. He wants your life to be a beacon to others, to be living proof to others. That other people will see him living in you and then they will respond positively to God's grace and truth as well. If they don't see it in us, they're not going to see it in anybody. And so we need that truth. We need it to reign in us. The greatest evidence of God's power can be seen in the lives that he's changed. And over the years, I've seen and met and read of those who have had dramatic life change. One I've never met, but look forward to meeting some some days, the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul hated Jesus, hated the church, tried to destroy the church. And Jesus, the epitome and completeness of truth, encountered him on the road to Damascus, blinded him with his glory, and changed the Apostle Paul forever. There's a house at the end of our street where we live, the end of the block, the other end from where we live. And I'm told that the man who lived in that house, the couple, but the man who lived in that house, was on President Nixon's cabinet when they all end up going to prison and that man was one of those who was on that cabinet and went to prison but in prison God can do what he wants to do Chuck Colson was one of those who went to prison in prison he trusted Jesus Christ to be a savior and he came out and has. Made an impact on the world not because he was in Nixon's White House, but because Jesus made Chuck Colson his house and lived in him. We need to be that living proof to others. We can do that. Talked about family coming to visit how you make temporary adjustments. You know you can do that. We all do. Why? Because it's going to last for two or three days and it's going to be over with. That's the best thing about company coming. They go home again. We can put up with a whole lot of junk, can't we, for three days, four days, and then we get life back to normal. But I, I heard a story the other day about, about a family that had a, an issue. And it happened, I'm sure, to a lot of people. But a son came home to live, to, to visit his parents for that two or three, four-day thing. And you know in 1920, or in 19, 1920, um, in, in, in 2020, uh, uh, that what happened, we had this little pandemic thing. And things happened. And he couldn't go home. Couldn't travel. Had to stay there. Lived with his parents for a whole year. How many of you want your kids to come home and live with you for a whole year? You spent 18 years trying to get them out of the house. Don't come back for that long. You know, when a a visit lasts that long, you just can't get by with temporary arrangements anymore. There's an old poem... By by Lois Blanchard Eads, if Jesus came to your home to your house. And it's a it's kind of a quaint little poem, but it's completely wrong theologically. But it begins with these two lines. If Jesus came to your house to spend a day or two, if he came unexpectedly, I wonder what you'd do. What would you do? Jesus came unexpectedly. Got to clean up really fast. Jesus is at the—he's at the door. What are you talking about? He's supposed to be at church. Why is he at my door? What would you have to put away so he wouldn't see it? Would you have to change your radio station or your television station real quick? You know what the problem with that is? It's exactly unscriptural. Jesus never comes for a temporary visit. Jesus is never coming for a day or two. When Jesus comes into your life, he comes into your life for eternity. He's never leaving. So the question is not... What would I do temporarily? What would I adjust temporarily? Doesn't go that way. What would I do? Living the victorious Christian life involves more than a temporary adjustment here and there. It requires major renovation. He changes everything. He changes it. He gives us a new heart. And so, how to ready ourselves for worship? We prepare Him room. That means we give Him a place in our heart, give Him a place in our schedule. As we go through the day, then we also repeat the sounding joy. We repeat it over and over, reminding ourselves again and again of the goodness of God. And that means that every turn, we choose blessing over thorns. We say, I want to live for you today. We choose a path of blessing rather than a path of thorns And as you do that day by day, Jesus rules your world with truth and grace. And you become then a living proof to who Jesus Christ is. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you care about our lives so much that you sent Jesus Christ into our world to die in our place. He became sin for us that we might not have to pay the price of sin. Because the only price that we could pay would be to go to hell for eternity. Because nothing that we would do would make us heaven worthy. It is only through Jesus Christ that we find ourselves righteous in your sight. Pray for that one who's here today who maybe has never trusted Jesus to be Savior and Lord. We pray that today would be that day. Pray that even right now where they're sitting, they would say, Jesus, I don't know if I understand all this or not, but I believe you are the Son of God and you came to this world 2,000 years ago and died in my place on a cross and became sin for me, my sin. And then paid the price with your blood, forgiving my sin, washing it away. Today, I ask you to do that and replace my sinfulness with your righteousness, with your holiness. Jesus, would you save me? Father, today, if they've just made that prayer, pray that that they would continue to grow now. I pray that, that resounding joy is springing up in their heart, even as we pray. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to your word that not one word of it ever changes. Not one word of it ever does not produce what you intend for it to produce. We thank you that it produces salvation and discipleship and growth and maturity. It produces joy in our lives ultimately. So Father, thank you for what only you can do. Thank you for touching our lives this Christmas season. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. If God's speaking to your heart today and you need to respond to him, won't you come as we sing? We'd love to talk with you about the decision you're making. Thank you for joining us today for Faith Point. Reach us online at firstsouthernpv.org or stop by to worship with us if you are in the Prescott Valley area. May God richly bless you today as you allow your faith to intersect with your life.